The reading this evening is taken from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, 16 to 26. Life by the Spirit. This may be found on page 1172 of the Church Bible or on the screen behind me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, David. Shall we pray? Hello? Let's pray. Is that better? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. As we're focusing uh, this term on the Holy Spirit, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come, to fill us, fill us with your love and your power and your grace. Open our ears to hear your word, and open our hearts to hear you too. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us now, that we may respond to you with honesty and truth and courage with devotion, and you would fill us with your transforming power, that we might become more like Jesus, to the glory of the Father. Amen. Okay, this is not good, is it? Is that better? Not good. 
Okay, I'll try and stick on this. Uh... So, we're doing this series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've, um, uh, we've looked at a number of aspects of the Spirit so far, uh, most particularly recently, if I remember. Uh, we've been thinking about um, dependence on the Spirit last week. And uh, this week, it's the Spirit of Holiness. Spirit of Holiness. When I was at school, kind of uh, coming towards, uh, you know, middle of school, sixth form, uh, there was a highlight of the summer term, a sporting highlight. It wasn't one of the great uh, sports uh, festivals, sports events. It was, in fact, an informal inter-house competition organized at lunchtime in front of the dining room by one of the PE teachers. And it was a huge tug of war. Thank you, we'll try. Formula One, quick change. There you go. Number two. It's a huge tug of war match. Okay, so uh, an enormous rope that went across the, uh, across the quad in front of the uh, dining room, across the, uh, the central path. And uh, two um, houses would be announced. And uh, anybody who was there from those two houses piled in and grabbed their end of the rope. There was a handkerchief tied to the middle. <coughs> and uh, three, two, one, and pull! And pull! and pull, and the, the handkerchief would jiggle to one side or the other as two ad hoc teams got into their stride and began to pull one way and the other. Our Christian life often seems like that, doesn't it? Someday everything goes well, we believe, uh, we behave in ways we think might please Jesus, other times we are pulled off track. And we keep on doing things that make us ashamed. And we do them again and again. Good and evil are tugging in us. As if we were that, uh, as if we were that handkerchief on the middle of that tug-of-war rope. Pulled now one way, now pulled the other. Showing which side is winning. And we see that in this passage. Paul speaks in a number of his letters about this tug-of-war match that's going on, him, on inside him. Pulling him one way or the other. And here we've got two lists of different kinds of behavior. Behavior that pulls towards evil, away from Christ. Behavior that pulls towards Christ, fruit of the Spirit. And 2,000 years later, the acts of the sinful nature that Paul tells about us in this passage are still obvious. Many of them our world still approves of or dismisses as insignificant, just as in the Roman world in St. Paul's day. Verse 19. If you want to uh, open your Bibles again, what verse were we on? Sorry. Yeah, what uh, page were we on? 1172. 1172. Page 1172. Open your Bibles. Verse 19. Sexual immorality. All sorts of things cluster under that. Sex before marriage, adultery, homosexuality, child abuse... Um, debauchery is, uh, is kind of wife-swapping parties and, you know, everybody having a go, one-night stands. Impurity, pornography, adult movies, adult magazines, those kind of things. Verse 20, 
Idolatry, what does that mean now? Giving your life for something other than Jesus. Giving your life for money or power or idolizing celebrities. Witchcraft, what's that about? Spiritism, Ouija boards, star signs, a whole bunch of different things. Bickering and slagging off colleagues, it's all there. Keeping up with the Joneses, taking them down a peg or two. Road rage, domestic violence, self-focused ambition, office politics, feathering your own nest. These are all familiar uh, current-day versions of what Paul writes in his list. Verse 21, debauchery, drunkenness and orgies, snorting cocaine, throwing up in taxes after all-night wild parties. You get the idea. I warn you, as I did before, says St. Paul, that those who live like this won't inherit the kingdom of God. How could they? They wouldn't want to inherit it. It would be way too uncomfortable. I'm sure you've noticed how irritating those who behave in these kind of ways find those who don't. Words like prissy, pious, pompous, goody-goody, killjoy, do-gooders. These are all words that trip off the tongue to dismiss those whose actions show up the mean and ungenerous life that one lives. Well, I presume I'm not describing any of you here. And Paul makes that presumption too. Yet even in church, Paul says he sees people who are behaving in most unchristlike ways. Verse 15, before we started reading, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So does any of the words in my updated list ring a bell for you? I could have added plenty of others. Are these ways that you used to behave before you were a Christian, like St. Paul and the Corinthians when he writes to them? Or are they perhaps making a sneaky comeback when you aren't with Christian friends or when you're feeling a bit low? Or have you been living a double life all this time? One person at church and quite a different person at home or at the office. As Paul often says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. How can you ask Christ's spirit to fill you and then behave in ways that he can't bear? And if Christ's Holy Spirit, his spirit of holiness, really does come to dwell in you, then you should expect to feel increasingly uncomfortable with the choices that you have made in the past. If any of these things still have a hold on you, then you need to deal with them with God. Verse 13, further back. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And so Paul continues at the start of our passage, verse 16. Live, I say, says St. Paul, by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what's contrary to sinful nature. Tug of war. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. The tug of war yanks us backwards and forwards. So how do we get to grips and move, pull, in the direction of Christ? How do we look and behave like him? 
How do we offer the fragrance of his holiness in an impure world? Well, there is only one answer to this. It's the spirit of Jesus, with our consent, taking increasing control over our lives. When he does, we'll find that some parts of our lives start to change. Not all of it immediately, but some of it, certainly. It's not that the Spirit hasn't got the power to change us all instantly like that. It's that we don't yet have the capacity to handle those changes. So the Spirit works at us gently, like a craftsman bending a piece of wood, gently, gently, a little bit at a time, so that it doesn't snap. Or it's like a gardener, slowly taking over a new allotment in hand. So it's one or two of you know about allotments. What happens is this. You don't dig over the whole thing and expect there to be no more need for any work after that. Is that what happens, Jilly? You dig once and never again. No. So what happens is this. As we pray and reflect on our life, some part of it comes to our attention. And the Spirit asks us, are you ready for me to get going on this flower bed? And if we are, he gets out his gardening gloves and he goes to work. It's that simple. A stark choice for us. Hold on to your own autonomy or let the Spirit get to work. It's true for our final destination in life, with or without Christ. It's true for our daily actions in life, with or without the Holy Spirit. It's up to you, with or without, your choice. As we pray, the Holy Spirit puts his fork into a bit of the soil in our life next to a weed. And he asks us, are you ready for me to pull this out? You have the choice. Some aspect of our behavior, it might be our swearing, it might be our unkindness, it might be our unwillingness to forgive, it might be anything, our critical spirit or our lack of generosity. It may be an obvious problem, like a thistle or a nettle, and we know that it's got to come out. Or it may be masquerading behind pretty flowers, something more subtle, something harder to spot. But if the Spirit puts his fork in beside it, the question to us is, do we trust the Spirit, and do we have the courage to let the Spirit pull that weed out, to uproot it? If we are ready to change, and it might be in terms of our whole destination, our whole direction in life, without or for Jesus, or it might be in terms of some aspect of our life, if we're ready to change, we need to go through a process which the Bible calls repentance. Repentance has a very bad press these days, but it's actually a really fantastic process. It's actually called changing your mind. Okay? Now, I know politics don't like U-turns, but if you're going in the wrong direction, you have to do a U-turn to go in the right direction. So repentance is actually a good thing. It's a blessed thing. Repentance is about getting closer to Jesus. 
Repentance is a mercy, it's a blessing that Jesus has given to us. Repentance is about your life becoming more like him, closer to him, more blessed. And this repentance is a four-stage process, okay? First of all, you have to recognize the problem. If you don't recognize there is a problem, you won't do anything about it. Second stage, you have to accept that this is a problem to be got rid of. You are going to renounce it. So first, recognize it. Second, renounce it. Say, that's it. That's, I'm done with it. Thirdly, you've got to commit to a new direction in life or to a new behavior, committing to Jesus. And fourthly, you've got to practice this new action, this new behavior. Every time that you encounter this new situation or every time you encounter a doubt about Jesus, practicing your new commitment to him. Or to put it another way, you see the situation coming, you ask the Spirit for help, you cooperate with the Spirit, and then you practice this new, uh, this new Christ-like way. And the more you practice, the further ahead you'll see it coming, and the less you'll be caught by surprise, and the more confidently you'll cooperate and you will act in tune with the Spirit. Over time, you may find that in this particular way, uh, this particular aspect of your life, you, you don't even have a desire anymore for this thing. You've acquired a taste for acting holy in this way. Because it pleases Jesus, because it is a delight to others, and because it's a blessing, because it fulfills you. Well then, of course, the Holy Spirit moves on to the next area. Sticks his fork in beside another plant. Asks you the question all over again. Well, that may make you start to feel a bit of a failure. You know, I'm still no further ahead. That's not true. Because in one area, you have moved forwards. In one area of your life, you have allowed the Spirit to uproot something that shouldn't be there. So you have moved forwards. You are a little bit more like Christ-like. You are changed from one degree of glory into another, as Paul says. And you've also practiced willingness to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, which will help you the next time. It'll be a little easier. Okay, so Christians throughout the ages have found two tools that have been particularly helpful in this process. One is easier for introverts, and one's easier for extroverts. That's good, isn't it? But both of them are good for all of us. One of them we might find easier, but both of them are good for us. So the first one is journaling. Okay, what's journaling? Journaling is writing a daily diary, but from God's perspective. Okay, so at the end of the day, you write a quick note. What happened today from the Spirit's point of view? What happened today that the Spirit might appreciate or might think it would have been better if we'd done a different way. And if you get one of those, something we should have done differently, then you can go through the four-stage process that I just talked about. Recognize, renounce, commit, practice. If you're writing notes tonight, okay, write these four things down. Recognize, renounce, commit, practice. It's a really good process to go through, okay? It helps you to go through the whole, not just to stop halfway. 
Recognize, renounce, commit, practice. Praying through each issue that the Holy Spirit brings to our attention makes our own spirit more pliable to his will, a little less sleepy, a little less unresisting, like uh, Peter was in the garden, you remember, a little more ready for the Spirit's action in our life. Okay, if you're writing uh, these notes, write in your action box at the bottom, first action, get myself a lovely journal. Okay? Calf-bound leather or flowery cover to taste. Whichever you like. In fact, get somebody else to buy it for you. Keep it, so you say, buy myself a journal, keep it by my bed, write something every night, and then pray, recognize, renounce, commit, practice. Okay? That's your first action. And to make it more fun, write also one thing which has happened today, in this period, which makes me love Jesus more. Okay? Something that's a challenge something that makes me love Jesus more. You don't have to go through the whole of your life each night. Just a little thing helps you to keep in touch with what the Spirit is doing in you. Okay, the second tool is called accountability. This is the extrovert's tool. Have you got a prayer partner? Or are you in a prayer triplet? If not, can I please urge you to get one? This is a more enduring, intimate relationship than your house group, so choose carefully. You need somebody who can call you to account, somebody you trust, somebody who will listen to you sympathetically and carefully, and then taking the part of the Spirit challenge you in the way that you are behaving, and and that you will be able to hear that and, and accept that from them. So you're encouraging one another to um, uh, encouraging each other to note what Jesus is up to that raises faith and confronting the character challenges that you're facing. Of course, you're doing that for the other person as well. You're doing that for each other. Basically, what you're doing is the same as the journal, but you're doing it out loud. So that's your next action point. Find a prayer point, a prayer partner, sorry. Get the next meeting in the diary. Ask the faith and character question of each other and then pray. And your prayers, both together and separately for each other, will be way more insightful and powerful because of this focused conversation that you've had. One of the strange things about digging an allotment is that the more you dig, the more stones and the more weeds there seem to be. It's as if just the process of digging brings them up to the surface. To begin with, the hard soil grips the weeds and stops them from coming out whole. But as you go on digging, the weeds come up more easily. And so do the stones. As you dig and dig, the earth gradually comes under control and it becomes freer and more ready for cultivation. And that, of course, is the point. The point of an allotment, Jilly, tell me this, the point of an allotment, is it to have a nice bare patch of ground with no weeds in it? Is that why you do the allotment? That's what your neighbor thinks the allotment's for. What do you do the allotment for? Uh, She's given it up. (laughs) Too hard work. 
Okay, what, what did you get out of the allotment? Brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. We're going to come on to all of those things. But practically, what was the allotment for? To eat the vegetables. Okay, it was not to have a bare patch of ground with no weeds. It was to have plants out of which come fruit. And as we dig, as we get rid of the, the, the weeds, what the Holy Spirit is doing as he clears ground in our life is then planting new flowering seeds and fruiting shrubs. Here is the fruit that the, allotment is, that the allotment of our lives is growing for the Holy Spirit. Where once we had, what, the need to control others, now we've got self-control. Once we had frustration and quick rage, but now we've got peace and patience, as Julia is saying. Where before we had insensitivity and hard-hearted cruelty, now we've got kindness and gentleness. Previously, there was self-serving betrayal. Now we've got faithfulness and goodness. Above all, where once there was self-obsession, focus on ourselves, and self-pity. It's all somebody else's fault. Why is the world so bad to me? Now we have love, loving compassion, and joy. The Holy Spirit is carefully, patiently cultivating in us not just a weed-free zone, but also the fruit of his love. Do you, is that what you want? These are the best and the sweetest of all fruit, but they will transform your lives one spadeful, one forkful at a time. In the end... We only truly know our character when it's under pressure, when the bad times come, when all the ease and the delights of our life seep away into the ground. If, like Job or like Jesus, we see our whole life's work come crashing down, we see our relationships stripped away, we find our bodies racked in pain, then all we've got left is our character and our faith. These are the gold of our lives, purified by suffering. Then we will know who we are. Yesterday morning, I was putting away some books, and I found myself in my daughter's bedroom, and I found myself, for some reason, um, reading a book that Emily used to read about 10 years ago, when she was 10 or 12. A Little Princess. You remember that one? A rich man's daughter, pampered and served by others, suddenly finds herself bereft, an orphan, a pauper, humiliated and misused by mean and self-centered and cruel adults, starving, wet, miserable, a servant, and a drudge. Yet inside, she holds herself to be a princess, and she never lets herself stop acting 
as if she were one. Whatever life throws at us, whatever comes, good or ill, we are, you are, a prince or a princess, a son or a daughter of a king, of the king, of the king of kings. That's whom you are if you have chosen by the Spirit to follow Christ. You are a prince or a princess of God's kingdom. Never act other than that. And the most profound lesson that this little princess learns is that however bad her life is, she can always make life better for somebody else. As the kind-hearted baker says to her at the end of the book, once I gave you six buns for the fourpence penny that you found in the snow, and you gave five of them away to a little beggar child. I've always remembered that, and I've given away many a bit of bread since that wet, that wet afternoon, just thinking of you, and how wet and cold you was, and how hungry you looked, and yet you gave away your hot buns as if you was a princess. Well, it turns out that as a result, that kind-hearted baker has taken in the other beggar child and given her a place and a home. And now she, in her turn, offers buns and bread to other homeless waifs because she too knows what it was to be starving. The seeds that blow from our garden and plant themselves across the fence in the next-door neighbouring garden will be the flowers of grace and the fruit trees of the Spirit, self-seeding in the lives of others. And we will see the smile on the lips and see the tear in the eyes of our Heavenly Father who watches us with gladness as we act out the fruit of the Spirit for the sake of his Son, as we become more like him independence on his spirit. So verse 25, St. Paul says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit for Christ's sake. And that's no blasphemy. May our lives be lived for the sake of Christ our Lord by the power of his spirit of holiness. Shall we pray?